We are here with electoral analyst Nathan Gonzalez of Inside Elections. Thanks for joining the Discourse Podcast, Nathan. Thank you for having me. To start off, does this past Tuesday special election in Arizona confirm what many are saying, that the Democrats will regain the majority in the House of Representatives in November? I think you know the the majority was at risk uh, for Republicans before Arizona eight, and it's certainly at risk after. Um, I think it's, it's important to be cautious when extrapolating one special election result on uh, onto the future or into the the races in the fall. But I think it does, as you said in the question, I think it does fit in line with the trend that we've seen. Uh, that regardless of whether Democrats win or lose these special elections uh, for Congress, uh, they have overperformed the, the normal voting performance. Uh, when you also look at special elections further down the ballot, um, Democrats have now uh, taken over uh, 40 state legislative seats in special elections over the last 15 months or so. And so I think that's a, that's a clear trend. Um, I think that it mo- not only is the, the House majority at risk, but I think it's it's specifically problematic for open seats that Republicans are trying to defend in the fall. I, I think that that's where the special elections could apply the most. I'm, I'm less convinced at this stage that it's um, indicative of how incumbents were perform. I mean, specifically in Arizona 8, everyone said, well, look, look at what happened, how close Arizona 8 got. Uh, look at Republican Congressman Dave Schweiker next door. He's in trouble, too. And, and I'm open-minded that he, that he could be at risk, but I think that an incumbent's connection to the district is different than a, an open-seat candidate trying to um, trying to uh, kind of start from scratch and get things going. And to follow up, uh, what are your thoughts on the Florida Senate and Florida governor races? Do you think they'll be as affected by the national headwinds for the GOP as um, similar to Arizona? Well, if we start with the Senate race, I think um, Governor Scott's entry into the race was a, a game changer. We were It was kind of a least surprising announcement because we've been expecting it for so long. But I think it has national implications, not only because Democrats, I think, need to reelect Bill Nelson if they want to get to the majority, but just because of the sheer dollars that Rick Scott can invest in the race. I mean, he's going to be able to spend tens of millions of dollars. Bill Nelson's not going to be able to um, to raise that uh, raise that much. I mean, he's going to be able to raise some millions, but not uh, tens of millions. I don't think so. Democratic outside groups are going to have to make up make up the gap and, and spend money to defend him, and that'll be money that can't go to either other Democratic senators that are on defense or other offensive opportunities that Democrats have, such as in uh, in Texas, or Arizona, Nevada, or further down at Tennessee, for example. So that it has national implications. Um, the governor's race, you know, the governor, Governor Scott, is term limited. That's part of the reason why he's running for the Senate. Uh, competitive primaries on both sides. I think that in this type of political environment, I, we have it as a toss-up now. But I think in this political environment, it's tough to see how Republicans uh, win, kind of swing competitive states in this environment. You know, it's the environment that that I think will will help ultimately help the Democratic nominee. But until we ultimately know who the candidates are for governor, the nominees are for governor, um, then handicapping the races is still tough. 
And recently I interviewed veteran Republican strategist Matt Mikowiak, and he said two factors that will decide the midterms uh, are can the GOP sell the tax cut and how far left uh, will the Democrats go? What's your reaction? Well, on the, specifically on the tax cut, I think if Republicans can use the tax bill in order to energize their base, I think they could help minimize the losses. I don't think we're really, in terms of the scenarios for November, I don't think we're really talking about whether Republicans have a good year or Democrats having a good year. I think we're talking about whether Democrats have a good year, a great year, or a historic year. But um, the way that Republicans avoid a historic Democratic year is by making sure that the base is enthusiastic. And if the base is excited and turns out at, at normal levels, then uh, then I think the losses could be a minimum. Because on the other on the other hand, Democratic voters and the Democratic base is amped. They are energized because they have a common enemy, and, and that enemy is President Donald J. Trump. He is driving voters and donors and candidates like I haven't seen in years. And I know that, you know, talking to Republicans, one of the consequences of having so many candidates uh, on the Democratic side is that you have these competitive primaries. Some of them are moving to the left in their issue positions. But I don't think that a divided Democratic Party, even a divided Democratic Party that's moving to the left, means they can't do well in these elections. Because I've seen this movie before that over eight years, Republicans were divided. The Tea Party was attacking uh, the the establishment, and they were saying that Mitch McConnell wasn't conservative enough, and Speaker Ryan was for amnesty. And what did all that Republican infighting, where did that get them? It got them a majority in the House, a majority in the Senate, the White House. And, and why, and how did that happen? It's because they had a common enemy, and that was President Barack Obama, and that was the fuel and energy. And so I kind of see this as the same game, just with the roles, the teams being teams being reversed and um, so I mean I, I don't I mean I think Republicans and we meet with Democratic candidates um, regularly I think the party is moving to the left but I don't think that that I don't think Republicans should that should help them sleep at night that that means the Democrats can't do well in November uh, but isn't it fair to say that the Tea Party movement was primarily driven not so much by their opposition to President Obama rather their opposition to Obama Obamacare, whereas this year the folk, the main piece of legislation at the forefront is the tax cut. Um, well, uh, I think it, it's it's tough to isolate some of this stuff in, in a vacuum. I mean, for example, uh, if if it was a if it was a if the, if a Democratic majority in Congress pushed health care without. A Democrat in the White House, specifically President Obama, would the Tea Party movement come to, for, you know, would it would it have built into what it became? I guess I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure it would have it would have been quite the same fervor. I mean, candidly, I think it's easier to rally people against something than for something. And right now, Democrats have a big rallying cry against President Trump. Dem Republicans are trying to counteract that we're trying to get people you know to, to the positive look at what the republicans what republicans in power were able to do in uh in, in passing the tax bill look how it's impacting your lives and it's a it's not a 
bad case to make. I just think it's more difficult to get people excited about, you know, for that in that proactive way rather than using the um, the, the fear tactics. Mm-hmm. And what impact does the Cambridge Analytica scandal, where data from millions of Facebook users was utilized without their consent, have on future elections? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I I think. I mean, just functionally, if it causes a large number of people to um, to cancel their Facebook accounts and not be on Facebook, I mean, I think that campaigns are just are, are starting to get better at reaching voters uh, where a lot of voters are on Facebook. And if they are, are off of that medium, off of that platform, then it could be more of a struggle for campaigns to, to get in contact with, with voters and deliver the messages they want to deliver. Um, but you know, from a more political, from as a, as a political issue, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I think we've kind of devolved into most issues. People fall back into whatever camp they're in, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, if, if you're, if for Democrats out there, it just fits into the the idea that the, there was something improper about the 2016 elections and. Uh, and the Russia had undue influence. If if you're a Republican, I think you view it either either you don't care about it or you view it as something that is meant to delegitimize President Trump's victory. And uh, but ultimately, I, I don't think the story is really over. I, mean, I think it's 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 ongoing, and, and we'll see how the as the as the story develops, uh, voter opinion could change. And my third to last question is, this week Kanye West took Twitter by storm, expressing his support for President Trump. I think it's fair to say that culture played a huge role in Trump being elected. Does culture have a role in midterm elections? Well, I think it's impossible to completely take out culture or to to compartmentalize culture from politics from uh, because I think they're they're intertwined. I do think that that President Trump uh, benefited from being a non-politician in a, in a race against politicians, both in the primary and eventually in the general elections, and his brand. I think what's fascinating is that now there are lots of Republican candidates who are trying to replicate what President Trump did, but a lot of them, but none of them are President Trump. I mean, you, it's not just about being an outsider. President Trump was a, he had universal name ID that was, but also a, a reputation and a brand that was associated with success and luxury and being rich and being on TV. And it was that, I think that pop culture component that helped him ultimately, ultimately win the race. And all these other Republicans, they just don't have you know, many of those pieces that he had and benefited from. Um, but, you know, this election, President Trump isn't on the ballot, but he's certainly a part of the discussion. Again, he's that energy and fuel that comes to, um, that's that's helping the Democratic Party. And even though these are midterm elections, we still have these 2020 conversations. What's Kanye or, or Oprah or, you know, what's who's the celebrity of the week or the month that pops up that might be in the in a future presidential conversation. So it's, I don't think you can really divorce the two from each other. And my second last question is because I have to ask, I know that you're a Seattle Seahawks fan. 
There we go. <laughs> How even, do you, even after the after the first round of the draft, I'm not sure. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, didn't you didn't like the pick? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm obviously not an NFL expert drafting for running backs. Let's say Rashad Penny may end up being a fantastic running back. I'm not sure that he would not have been available uh, later later in the draft, but we'll see. I mean, in, in John Schneider and in Pete Carroll, uh, we have to trust. Well, how do you think the Seahawks will do this upcoming season? Yeah, it's tough because I. it's not just – we've been talking about not viewing things in a vacuum. I mean, I believe in, in the, still the, the culture of Coach Carroll and, and what the John Schneider, the general manager, has been, has been developing, but the, the division is just getting significantly more difficult. I mean, the Rams are, are going gangbusters. 49ers are on the upswing. Cardinals got a drafted a quarterback in the first round, uh, one of the top quarterbacks coming out of college. So I think the division is getting tougher at the same time that the Seahawks are trying to to rebuild and, and look to the future. As a Bears fan, so I, I can relate. I usually I try to go into low. I try to have it's tough. I try to have low expectations because uh, it makes it easier to be to be happy. But the Seahawks have been good for so long that uh, you know you you expect them. I think we're moving. I'm moving into this phase where for years. Any game the Seahawks went, were, were in, I expected them to win because they could have won. Now, <laughs> I'm a little, I think it's a little, this year's going to be sobering. But you're are you a Bears fan? Yes, I am. What's your, what's your outlook uh, for getting, at least in the first round, Bears got uh, your quarterback some help? Uh, yeah, they, they really helped themselves on uh, defense. And I, I say that as a Bears fan, I, you know, I've, High expectations, only to be disappointed later on. <laughs> and yeah, my final question is: Here at the National Discourse, we're about publishing articles from both sides of the political and ideological spectrum to foster mature dialogue nationwide. What's your reaction to the current state of political discourse as we approach the midterms? Yeah, you know, I on one hand, I'll say something that might be sound like I'm contradicting myself. Um, I do. I think we've had partisanship, and and our politics has been ugly for uh, for most of uh, the history of our country. Uh, I think, though, we are there's right now. It feels particularly personal. I think in part because it is becoming more personal. It's not just enough to disagree with someone's policy. You have to you have to just annihilate them as a person as a, and degrade them as a human being. Uh, but you also have so many more outlets for anyone to have their voice. I mean, anyone can be on, on, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or, or Snapchat or whatever it is and, and amplify their voice, even if it's a, a negative voice, and get out there and be a part of the public discussion. You know, there aren't really any gatekeepers anymore. And so I think that I think that Corson's thing, I think the cable uh, cable news medium you know they they're trying to make they're trying to be a business and make a profit and so they gravitate towards what people want to watch people want to watch controversy and people fighting and uh, so I think it's uh, I'm not sure who is to blame whether it's the, you know, the the kind of the creators of that or the people that f- facilitate or the consumers of that type of content but it's uh, it's both I think it is it is coarse but I don't I think it's important. I don't think it's bad that we that people disagree. I think it's it's healthy for disagreement. It's just about how we disagree. I think is is 
is something in it, but I'm candidly not sure what the what the specific solution is. I know that as someone who runs a a nonpartisan newsletter, the people don't want nonpartisan news. But you know, between what we're doing and what you guys are doing, maybe we will, uh, uh, you know, we'll try to change that conversation a little bit. Indeed, Nathan Gonzalez of Inside Elections. Thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. No problem. Thank you.